0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content.
1: This is Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off-Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I am Mark Amtower. This show marks the first show of my 12th year on Federal News Radio. And to mark the occasion, I brought in two extraordinary uh, GovCon marketing professionals, both of whom I've known uh, longer than we'll discuss. Uh, Louanne Brossman, the uh, the founder of Government Marketing University, and Anne Marie Clark, now the vice president of
0: Strategy for Government Marketing Yay! University. There
1: you go. You're so the cool. First formal and, announcement and here I've, on I've, the air. Yeah, I had the occasion to work with both of them. Actually, both of them uh, together did a uh, uh, one of my Government Marketing best practices right. uh, workshops uh back in the early 2000s and and frankly that was one of my favorite ones because i had three people speaking and all i had to do was you know yeah. orchestrate do the, do the yeah, yeah the orchestration i had a baton uh,
0: yeah and i so. think before that we were saying i used to sit in the audience and learn from you mark so absolutely we was, all learn from you yeah.
2: uh,
1: well i've been doing this for a while and, and what, what's cool about doing the seminar, so in the you've probably picked this up a lot over the last couple of years with, uh, with gain is every time I do one, I learn more probably than the people in the audience. Cause they ask me stuff right. that's, you know, pushing me, not just pushing my boundaries or pushing beyond my boundaries. And I'm Absolutely. going, dude, this is cool.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't, I think we can never stop learning. That's right. the cool thing.
1: So and g- teaching. Give me a 30-second commercial on GovMarkU.
2: Okay. Government Marketing University is doing great. We've been around for a couple of years. Um, we are going to be hosting this coming November 1st, 2018, our third annual GAIN conference that you mentioned earlier. GAIN stands for Grow, Accelerate, Innovate, and Network. We are a um, government marketing and sales learning platform. Think of us as a marketplace. So we mm-hmm. have a a great group of professors that's growing by the day that will bring knowledge and training and content that we'll talk about today. What what is content Mm -hmm. um, to gmarku.com? Anybody that has any type of knowledge to provide to people, marketing and selling to the U S public sector, uh, we encourage you to reach out to us. We'd love to have you and anybody that markets or sells to the government can come to gmarku and take training and classes. So coming up on March 1st is the big launch of our actual training platform.
1: Cool. About time. Anne-Marie. Yeah.
0: Well, I have uh, recently joined Government Marketing University, so I'll be working on this strategy, and I have been a professor in the past and have been active with Luann, which is really why I want to come over uh, and join her team.
1: You forced me to join with her. Oh,
2: yes. I know. Well, you're I a professor, know. Mark. You were one of our first professors. You're the really the first one I reached out to. Right, to and, and we had
0: chatted long ago about how there really is a lack of a venue to learn government marketing. And, you know, I went to Virginia Tech, took marketing, and it was never a topic, government marketing. My son recently graduated. He is a marketing major out of Virginia Tech, and they don't offer government marketing. I went to George Mason University and some other locals, and they just don't offer it.
1: You see, you should go to George Washington University, because I'm the adjunct professor for GovCon Marketing. But I
0: think that you don't... But you have to be
1: in the grad school.
0: You have to be in the graduate school. So I think that when... You see these, um, you know, the next generation coming out, they need to understand what the nuances are for the government marketplace, which is very different than what they're teaching.
1: Well, you know, it it it's amazing that outside of uh, GW and Georgetown, mm-hmm. G- George Mason has this nascent program, and I'm not sure where it's going, but the largest employer in this immediate region is the federal government, right. possibly the federal government. I think the largest employer in this region is government contracting. Ah, I know it's the largest employer in Uh Maryland.
2: That would be an interesting stat to get.
1: Yeah. understand that. Well, I would
0: say most of the D.C. metro area, if they're not in the government, they're serving the government.
1: Or their neighbor is. Well, (laughs) a
2: recent uh, research said that over 60% of federal IT decisions are made outside of the Beltway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've always been taught – they're inside the beltway so one of the things that we'll probably touch on today of marketing is yeah you need to market local because a lot of influencers are here but the buying is happening outside Outside. of the beltway right
1: yeah all right so theme for the show is is obviously going to be marketing but because i'm in in a uh, studio with two two people who um let's just say we're, we're all equally experienced in the market. So we, we represent just a few decades of, uh, of government marketing best practices, if you will. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. So let's start mm-hmm. with content marketing. Anne-Marie, mm-hmm. you and I have worked together on a variety of content programs right. over the years.
0: Yeah. And I would say, you know, what has happened in the last 12 <clears throat> years is that content has always been important. I think that we look at content perhaps differently now, and we're more efficient with content than we were before. So, uh, you know, we used to have the magazines, we used to have the trade pubs, we used to have the newsletters, everything was pretty much in print. And now we've really seen the evolution into a digital media. So even though the platform for content is a launching pad into the digital marketplace, um, you know, content is still required. So I think that you know that's how it's been evolving, at least over the last twelve years.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I fully support that. Yeah. Um, but yet today, it's snackable content. Mm-hmm. Boy, just just this week, I was USA editing.
1: Today approach.
2: Yes, I. You know, years ago, I used to. I still love their infographic. That little infographic on the bottom of the front page. Right. I mean, snackable content is so important, as well as not thinking of content as just being words on a piece of paper. But content is is video, content is audio, Um, content is face-to-face. You know, some of the face-to-face events are kind of going by the wayside. And I think that's something to be addressed as well, is content can still be done face-to-face.
1: One would hope. I mean, that's the the value of gain. But you also have, you know, I I do uh, your conference. I've spoken at the uh, MXIT Sales Summit. Um, You know, you you video those and it's it's, uh, retrievable online. Repurposed. Right. Yeah.
0: Yet, uh, I was looking at some surveys before I came in here, and it was like 17% still preferred print. And it doesn't mean they, yeah, look at everybody's raising their hands in the room. And I think that the digital just gives us the information quicker to us when we need it on demand, anywhere, any device. But I think the print is just offers a different experience. And so perhaps the content that you see in print is something that carries a much longer shelf life. Yeah. And it's still a launching pad, I think, to take you to another place for more current information.
2: And think about searching as well, right? So you need to make sure all your content is searchable so that when a prospective buyer goes there, um, they may have the option then for mm-hmm. printing it off. I'm, I still print things. I, I tend to want to read hard copy at times. And highlight, but then also the other options we talked about earlier.
1: I printed out Anne-Marie's notes for this. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, me too. I don't know. I think there's a visual thing that I can actually read faster. I can read a page of information in a short period of time as opposed to having it listen to some. Well, a, I still moment. I
1: still read with a highlighter and a notepad. So it's, you know, it's like I've, I've never left college. I've been doing this now since. Writing you know, in the margins. Yeah. Writing, writing in margins. margins, and you know, every now and again, I'll have an author in here uh, mm-hmm. doing a show with me. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know there's 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 lots of neat stuff out there and And making my margin notes mm-hmm. makes me think harder about what I'm looking at. You know, highlighting it makes me go back to it before I flip the page
2: right yeah. right. um I, and i I fully support that. That's me too. But in the world of business, we have to think about doing it online so it's shareable. Yeah. well, But there's ways to do that where you can highlight online and you can yeah, share snippets of information. Yeah, I think there's some technologies
0: where you can actually, I was on the phone last night with Apple trying to download my pictures into the out, iCloud, and she came onto my computer and she's pointing everywhere where I need to click. So it was kind of, you know, the technology is kind of advancing. Uh, you Just know, what, a bit. Yeah. One of the other things that I think that we're seeing in content is that we're becoming more efficient with our content. And we're actually able to repurpose content because now with some of the Adobe analytics that we get on the digital content, you're able to actually see what people are reading, what they're you know clicking over to secondly, how much time they spend on an article. I know that in the past, we've put a lot of stuff on our digital... You know, we take the print, we went to the page turner, and now we go to a really interactive media where you can let the editor know what people are interested in. Right, And sometimes... The editor thinks that this is such an interesting story, that everybody's going to be interested in this piece, and yet you're not getting any traffic. So I think it also helps the writers, the editors, to go ahead and say, hey, I didn't know that this was that important. People are so interested in this element of cybersecurity. Let me go ahead and elaborate it on the next time, or let me provide a few backup documents that users can use. So I think that knowledge is now something that we didn't have 12 years ago.
2: And to add to that, I think something that I see often in in the world I live in that people are the last thing they want to update or they do update is their website. And boy, that's a mistake. Websites are still so important from a Google or Bing search purpose Uh, And people are going to websites to get information, and that's the last place they think about updating. They may be creating collateral. Mm -hmm. They may be doing audios and videos, but they're not updating their websites, and they need to do that.
1: You know, the easiest way to update your website is to have an interactive blog. Amen. Right. So... Right, uh, which is another pad. form of right. content.
2: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. We were talking. What does content mean? I said it means a lot of things, right? So and, you
1: know, we we have the traditional content, the magazines, the newsletters. We have e-newsletters. We have blogs. We have posts on various social media mm-hmm. platforms. Um, you know, webinars, uh, live events. We'll get into live events shortly. Uh, but but it it goes on and on. But without the content, you're not going to differentiate you or your company, or the skills you bring to the table.
2: Content is king. I mean, we've said that. That's something when we think about the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that term, content is king, has been with us forever.
1: Yeah, but then delivery becomes the ace. Exactly.
2: Right. And I
0: think in the government marketplace, as we've known over the years, it used to be very difficult to get in the mail rooms with content in a timely manner. So I think this evolution to digital has really helped deliver that content to our customers quicker in a more meaningful way too
1: yeah we're going to take a break you're listening to amtower off center on federalnewsradio.com i'm here with luann brosman and Anne marie clark of government marketing university we shall return right after this welcome back to amtower off center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m luann give the uh the uh URL for you, please.
2: Sure, it's www.governmentmarketinguniversity.com. governmentmarketinguniversity.com or all we also have word. a shorten of all one word or you can go to gmarku.com.
1: gmarku. I was going to say you. That's why I asked you to do it.
2: gmarku.com.
1: <laughs> uh I'll I'll remember after I get my channel. Uh, well, maybe I will. Who knows? Um, so I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a column for uh, Nick Wakeman at Washtech on, on PR. Is there still value in traditional media coverage? So, um, Anne-Marie, you've had an extraordinary amount of interaction with the trade media uh, for a long time. So, I,
0: There's still room for PR. Uh, it gives you an objective view to the reader. And I think sometimes uh, we think that I write a you know a white paper and I push it out there and that's my PR or I do things just from me. But to have somebody else speak about you and engage with thought leaders in the industry, I think, is key. And I think that the folks that are still in the market today that are representing our trade are the thought leaders. And they're all good because they have have survived over the years. And the people that they have are strong thought leaders, too. So I think that PR is uh, is something that takes a little bit more work. It's not as much of a cost as much as it is an effort, but definitely should be part of the plan.
1: Okay, so Luann Fully
2: agree, um, as we would expect that Anne-Marie and I, because we're like <laughs> twins in this government marketing world, um, but I I'll take it a step further that I've been saying this for a couple of years, but I really think we're here now where social media and PR are converging. Mm-hmm. They are becoming one and the same. However, the strength of a traditional government PR agency or one of the the leaders within, um, they understand how to reach the media <clears> buyers, <throat> right? The the editors and the publishers and the writers. So they they understand that. So there's an absolute need for them. Um, and any government marketing job, I think you should outsource as much of that type of, of help that you can because they are the experts. But at the same time, you've got to be supplementing that with your social media. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: I would agree to a point, but I've I, because I am technically media, I, mm-hmm. I have a column of a radio show. But I also talk to a lot of editors, reporters, and, and the, uh, the people here at Federal News Radio, and their constant complaint is from the agencies that you would expect to have, you know, somebody seasoned pitching a story. They've got somebody who may not even have graduated college yet pitching the story, and they don't know the, the media outlet. They don't know the reporter, editor, or host. Uh, they, you know, and, and they're pushing a square peg into a round hole, and when you know the complaints get back to the senior people at the age, oh, they're a prima donna. No, they're not a prima donna. They don't have any time. Right. Don't waste their damn time. Right. Um, right. Or
2: how many corporate PR agencies say, "Oh yeah, we know government." <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. You know, we could ask them three questions, and I know what those questions are, and you pretty much quickly identify they don't. And they're, that's not to say they're not a bad PR agency, it's just different. That is an area that is different, and it's a small community, right? Absolutely. And the, the writers that you mentioned, Mark, we all grew up together. So you got to know who they are, and you can't be an outsider. And, and they're all you on be social young. media. They're all on social
0: media. And yeah. everybody knows everyone. And I think that. The good news about that, if you have a good reputation, you have a great reputation in the marketplace, you do something wrong. Right. They all know. Right. And they don't trust you. So I think that trust is also part of that community.
2: Yeah. And another thing I would, a tip that I would give to to marketers is that um, there are some amazing former federal publishers and editors that are now out there as consultants, um, that would love to work with them and write mm-hmm. great content. And I'm a big fan of ghost-written articles where if you're trying to make your CTO or your CEO or your VP of federal sales um, a thought leader, mm-hmm. don't try to write that yourself. You know, make well, sure you have an expert. Steve, Steve, Watkins. Steve Watkins is a great uh, example. I use
1: Matthew Weigelt. Uh, another great one a lot of uh i tom use timmon. a couple that tom still, timmon here yep. at federal
2: news radio they I, all just boy invest in the money because you are going to get it back tenfold and then add your SME or your thought leader as writing the article ghostwritten article and they also know how to place it amen
1: they <clears> can yeah, place but them. And you, most importantly to get back to luan's point they know who they're writing for and they know how to write to that audience and that you know Anybody can produce content, you know. It's much easier to produce crappy content than it is to produce good content. Right. So, you know, uh, my, my newsletter, uh, the one that goes out through LinkedIn, is limited to 2,000 characters. So we still have Amtower Off-Center Observations at the top, but it is three or four very short, very pithy paragraphs focused on exactly one thought. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if, if people don't get it within a couple hours when it's supposed to come out, I start getting pinged. Where's my newsletter?
2: Well, plus a lot of things you read these days are kind of scattered. You know, I was taught, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And if you follow that method, it's good content.
1: Well, the word-per-idea ratio is also tight, which is another reason to employ somebody outside. Having taught graduate students now for a couple of years, I can tell you that that they are not writers for the most part. They're Very, texters. You know, <laughs> it, the, the word-per-idea ratio is so broad that it's hard for me to fathom what they're actually trying to tell me.
2: Yeah. No, yeah. You're right with that. Go to an expert. It'll save you time and money, ultimately.
1: Yeah. So... So, so, uh, so we're, we're agreed that PR is, is still important. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my, my bottom line, and I'll probably wrap up my article for Nick with this is, you know, I'd rather read about me than somebody else if it's my topic.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a good point too. <laughs> I think you need to write a book on Markisms. You got a lot of them. You got a lot of them. All
1: that. right, so uh, so let's let's migrate in, into the social aspect. I mean, you know, uh, LinkedIn has become part of our landscape whether you like it or not.
2: It's our DNA. It is yeah. our DNA.
1: It, it, it's there. There's 1.7 million feds on LinkedIn, and wherever they are, the contractors are going to be. You can share content. They are actually starting to finally revitalize the groups on LinkedIn, so they will once again become somewhat more useful. Um, but, you know, how are you leveraging social media in general for GovMark you?
2: So, GMARQ for Government Media, we, we do a lot of things. Number one, absolutely LinkedIn. Um, we don't today have, have a huge community there. That's a goal that we're, we're forcing into uh, because I think a lot of marketers, and I'm guilty of this as well, in our jobs, we think of LinkedIn to help us stay networked but it's so much more than that, right? It's really how you can grow your career, and that's something that, Mark, you'll be teaching at the university at some point because you are the LinkedIn guru, but really teaching these young marketers how to use LinkedIn to help their career. Where do they want to be seen 10 years from now? People are going to be looking at that DNA over 10 years, and so you need to go to LinkedIn and put any accolades that you've got, any awards that you've got, things like that. Um, we, We believe LinkedIn is a great tool as well to connect with government. Um I find most of the time there's exceptions to every rule but if I'm going out because I'm looking for a government speaker if I'm connecting with the government 9 times out of 10 they will connect back with me and if I send them a message they will respond to me or they will tell me where I need to go and who I need to talk to
0: and I believe LinkedIn has the analytics behind it so they are giving you relevant content so when I'm looking at uh, a LinkedIn profile or an article or part of the daily news on LinkedIn I'm able to. It seems like I'm served up more from that community.
1: They they tend to push their influencers, and unfortunately, none of their influencers are government marketers. Really? Yeah. Okay. So
0: room for improvement, right? Let's change there, that. Always, yeah. We'll, we'll have to change that.
1: So, um, what What about some other platforms? Twitter? Uh, are you using Facebook? Um, yeah, I use both. I even use Google Plus to a very limited hmm. extent, but I do use it.
2: Yeah, we use Twitter, but mostly for at, at our events, live activities that are taking place seem to be where we get the most response. Um, if we through government marketing university, just normal tweets, we don't get a lot of response, but we do it anyway. Right. But it's usually the events because people want to come together when they're together at an event. And that seems to be a really positive way of using Twitter. So it's it's a tool to be used for sure.
0: And the speakers are using that information during the event itself too. Right. So you're seeing the, the um, content coming from various people in the room being shared with people that are on the stage. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting environment. You're getting immediate feedback uh, while you're giving the presentation. So I think Chris Dorbeck is one who just does that so well. He, he has
2: mastered the whole world of social media extremely well.
1: He, he he does a great job. But, you know, if I find an article and I find articles usually about 30 or 40 times a day, either through feeds or just by scrolling FCW or or Federal News Radio, uh, and I think it's germane to particular communities, I will tweet it. Uh, I will post it on Facebook in a government contracting uh, community. I will post it on Google plus in the government contracting community. And I will post it in very specific groups on LinkedIn. And if it's really pertinent to some people I'm working with, I'll send it to individuals on mm-hmm. LinkedIn mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, it, uh, that only takes me literally under a minute.
2: Right. Are you doing the one to many, right? Post it once. Yeah. Have it go out to multiple places. You know, I wanted to touch on something Mark too, uh, before we end the segment as social media is I cannot, stress enough the ability for retargeting banner advertising that is really huge and something that i think a lot of government marketers don't use and there's a large uh, oem right now getting ready to do their government summit wherever i go on my iphone personal they are popping up it works so retargeting ads use them yeah. but use the right person that knows how to do it right
0: right and i think that even lisa DeZutti and her uh Media study showed where people were going, and that you need to have your ads sort of retargeting in that way. And the analytics behind the scene enable that. It's for
1: spooky, you.
2: almost. It's a little creepy, yeah. But it, it works. But it works. It,
1: it's stalking. Yes. <laughs> You're listening to Amtower All Center on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM. I'll be back with Anne Marie and Luann right after this. Welcome back to Amtower off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Luann Brosman and Anne-marie Clark of Government Marketing University GmarkU.com?
2: That is correct.
1: Yay, me. Uh, have all the BBs in the right holes. Um, it's a private joke folks Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so so let's let's you know the more things change, the more they stay the same. I've been on the uh, board of advisors for several large events, including FOSSE and EGOV. And, you know, even when I was on the board at FOSSE, I told most of my clients that they probably should save their money. And, and Anne-Marie, back at that time, you were Compaq, and right. you went to Gary and said, uh, you know, we could do a lot of other things with this money. And Gary said, you know, you're the marketing person. You do what's right. And you pulled out. And uh, when when we talked after right. that, you said you were able to do like twenty other things with that with almost that same half amount of money.
0: Dollars. And yeah. actually, the salespeople loved me for that too. I'll have to admit because they didn't want to sit at Fossy because they had their territories, and they said, "Why well, I'm sitting here and somebody's asking me how their presario works?" Coop. <laughs> 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 so please, thank you, thank you. Let's do some more targeted events. So no, it was the you know when you're looking at brand exclusively back. In the day. Yeah. You know, Fossey did that job and yeah. it was all hype and it was give out t-shirts, big bags, right? Remember all the big bags that you I do could...
1: remember the big bags. Yeah. I the, measured the, the, the battle bags. of the big
0: bags. I think there's some articles on that. Uh and I think it got to the point where we were spending a lot of money and trying to get some ROI. And I think I came to closure when we took the list from Fosse, had an outside telemarketer review it. And after the first couple thousand names, they stopped and said, "This is a waste of our money," and that was kind of closure. And then we decided, "What else could we do?" And I think that our money—it didn't go away; it just went to do other things that were more beneficial for the business.
1: There you go. So, Luann, you and I have been doing uh, targeted events forever. What's the value?
2: I have been preaching for so long go where government is going. Don't build your own event. And so many companies try to do that and they really struggle. Go where government is going and part of that is targeting. Right targeting your events, really listening. You know, early in the year, sit down with your sales reps. I see so many mm-hmm. marketers that that don't do that or it goes back to what we teach at Gmark U, as a marketer should have a seat at the table you should be in those sales meetings every week and having one-on-ones with your sales reps and then identifying at times the reps may know of events that the marketer does not know about. Right. Um, So for example, I know that so many events, it's end of the day, it's about networking. It's not so much about your demo. I think that there are exceptions to that rule, of course, but it's really about networking and, and identifying where are people going. It goes back to our LinkedIn discussion. It goes you know, you,
1: back to relationships. Right?
2: Relationships and and getting people walking on the floor, you know, and bringing a former CIO or CTO into your booth, you know, that knows people and can grab them by the floor. But go where government is going. If there's an industry event um, put on by government for one of the associations, be it Guy Tech, for example. Guy Tech has their large summit coming up in April. And I talk about Guy Tech is the best kept secret out there. So it's a one-to-one ratio, federal leaders to industry. And so really target the accounts or target the shows as well. And don't go to everything. Just push back. Say, no, we, we don't have the budget. Let's spend our budget wisely, which goes back to what Anne-Marie was saying.
0: Well, and I think back to the point is, if you are targeting customers, so in any company I've been with, we've sat down with the salespeople. What are your goals for the year? Who are you trying to get in front of? What contracts are you going to hold? And where do you expect to get your revenue? You have to understand their goals, their revenue, their forecast. And then you need to make sure that your event strategy ties to that. And if you have uh, an event that somebody wants to go to, but your customer's not there, then maybe you go you know, uh, on any given day, how many events are there in the DC metro area? Breakfast,
2: lunch, and dinner.
0: That's right. So I think you just need to look at who is speaking, who's going. Um, and the one thing about GuyTech, I just got an email. These are the speakers that are coming to right. GuyTech. And then you're like, oh my gosh. And they are very, very open to having you meet with them. And in fact, uh, Joe Klemovitz, who used to be the CIO of NOAA, was the president of GuyTech. And busy, busy guy. Now he's now the CIO of Justice, and he's going to Guide Tech and people. And he said that's the only time I can actually meet with a vendor because I'm just too busy when I get in my office. Is that I'm open they to do meeting in people there again this year? Yes. Okay. The,
2: you know, one of the things that I recently built a marketing plan for someone, and it was a pure networking event marketing plan. So in that plan was no particular shows. It was more things like. Um, I, I recommend listeners plug into the community, right? And mm-hmm. and via Facebook and LinkedIn, because there's retire, a lot of retirement parties. They are golden for your BD and salespeople to go to. Uh, there was a very large one probably been about a month ago and there were over a thousand people there at a retirement it was a massive well-known wow. person retirement party yeah I, um, know. I
1: opted not to go you know probably which i'm talking about
2: um <laughs> there's also a great charity events that government gets behind and supports building bridges is one of them again a great place to go network um while giving back to charity so well, pay attention still to
1: does those. the uh, children's Inn thing absolutely too, right, right? Yeah.
2: and and that is well attended by government yep. and you're giving back you know so think about yeah. Building a networking plan for events versus good old-fashioned tabletops that your reps hate you you mm. may or may not get the list if mm-hmm. you can get the list then just be a sponsor and don't make your reps stand at a table just get the list and then mark to that list
1: yeah um, soup uh, has done a number of events Joanne I think manages the events herself out of the soup office right. but I was uh, uh, in in 09 I was a keynoter when they did it down. In Austin, and I'll tell you, you know, it going down there, the industry and the government people uh, and it wasn't just soup staff, you know, there was Air Force, there's just all kinds of guvies at this event. But it's like everybody knew each other, it was right. old home week, and I'm just friggin' amazed. Uh, so Contract-specific events, right. technology-specific events. I industry a, days. Yeah. I, I, industry another days another are great excellent. way to network. And, and reverse industry days seems to be a new trend. Those, if you can find them and, and it's your industry, go. Yes. Right. And, you know,
2: you know, finding them, I, a little plug for GovEvents because that site is amazing mm. um, to find events yep. as well as to post, uh, post the events that you're hosting yourself and yeah. valuable site.
1: Gary's done a hell of a job there. No, you definitely. Know. But I, I did a, uh, a, a topic-specific event uh, for Peg Hoskey, Fraud, Waste, and Abuse. And, you know, FWA is very big in government. We lose billions of dollars a year. It was at a downtown D.C. hotel, and the the uh, we had people from Philadelphia, from Baltimore. This was a two-hour event, right? Two and a half hours. We had people from Philadelphia and Baltimore drive into DC eight o'clock in the morning for this thing. There was 140 people there, but absolutely everybody who wanted to know about FWA.
2: Wow. That's great. You know, and there's an interesting new trend happening now, which is doing late afternoon events into evening. And I don't have a opinion yet. I think the jury is still out. Uh, There's one being held this afternoon, actually a a A guy guy tech event. So there's it's a new trend that I I don't have an opinion. I think they're kind of interesting. I'm totally open to out of the box thinking.
1: Well, I'm uh, totally in, we'll interested see. in non rush hour events. <laughs> well, well, and, and it, it could keeps be me off the road till rush hour is over.
2: It may be, it may be the new trend that sticks. I don't know.
0: Well, and probably the afternoon might be better than the five o'clock. I don't know, because the way the government flex time is, you'll find that people start much earlier in the day too.
2: But all the big media companies are starting to do that. And and one thing that I would, a a piece of advice to listeners coming, joining us on this radio program is if you do an event, don't think about just an event. It needs to be multi-focused and purposed. For example, you need to videotape it so that you can push it out. Um, or audio tape it. You need to take components of it and share. So don't be thinking of a a face-to-face event if you do a breakfast briefing and just have it be that. Make sure that you are doing additional multimedia capabilities around it. Yeah, because the
0: content is still relevant and they might have missed it and then they'll go to the next one too. But then,
1: you know, to to get back to something that both of you brought up earlier, you know, one of the criteria I use for uh, my clients in selecting events is, are you going to be able to network with the right people? Can you talk to the speaker? Who are the other attenders going to be? Are there there subcontracting opportunities to be had here as well as meeting key industry people?
2: And, you know, most of the time, I feel like I'm talking basic marketing 101, but it does not happen. You will get the list of attendees ahead of time or you can ask for it and get it. And then share that with your sales team and Target. Yes. Yes, and, and they're they're just zipping them into their salesforce.com or whatever. But man, put a pre-event strategy together and definitely a pre-trade show strategy together. Makes right. it a lot easier.
0: Well, and it helps your customer coming to the event to know what's going on in your area or exactly. what you're talking about or who will be there that you can speak to uh, regarding their their opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and
2: and your sales reps will really, you know, respect you more and and really be appreciative of that cheat sheet that you hand to them of who's going to be there, um what they can say to them. I mean, you would think that the reps could know that, but it's just a nice in their hand reminder.
1: Yeah, and you can use, you know, any online app, Calendly is what I use, but you can schedule 15-minute blocks of time for people ahead of time. Great idea for right. those things.
0: Great so. idea. Having meetings in the booth, you'll find that some of these booth properties now allow for meeting rooms there. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, rent a room, a meeting room off you know, off the show floor and and book some meetings and I non-disclosures. Saw
2: something really interesting recently. And again, it's out of the box thinking could be a little, hmm, but I loved it was it was an event, a large media company in the DC area did an event at the convention center and a vendor took over four chairs that were in the, the breezeway area, open seating. They decorated it. They roped it off. They had beverage service and they were having meetings there. I loved it. Out of the box thinking.
1: I didn't know you could write. It's the public. Space. It's
2: public property right there, right? <laughs> I mean, it was available to them. It wasn't like right in front of where you registered and go. You know, they right. they did it smartly, but why not? Why not? Yeah.
1: yeah. All right, we can take a break. You're listening to Dam Tower Off Center on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM. I will be back for ten more minutes with Anne Marie Clark and Luann Brosman right after this. Welcome back to Dam Tower Off Center on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM i'm mark amtower this is my 12th anniversary show so i brought in Luann brosman and Anne marie clark of government marketing university and we're going to talk a little bit about account-based marketing Uh, abm which is a a quasi new apparently to the b2b world (laughs) is something we've been practicing here in govcon for literally decades i know people who have made careers focused on one agency So, Mm Luann, you you, uh, uh, focused GAIN largely on ABM last year. Why?
2: Uh, Primarily because you're right. You know, the the theme today is things stay the same and change and, you know, revolve and get better and be forgotten about. And I think ABM was something that we kind of got away from and we forgot about it. Uh, We used to do it all the time. It used to be standard procedures in building our marketing plans. And then it just kind of went a little dark, I think, for a few years. And now it's back, and it's back with a vengeance. It's interesting. Everybody's talking about ABM, and it's so important. So I teach a lot about ABM, and again, we taught a lot about agency-based marketing because it's a different way of thinking. You can't just say, I'm going to do my same old marketing and now, but I'm doing it ABM. It's a different way of thinking. And what I mean by that is historically when you build out a marketing campaign that should be integrated with lead gen brand awareness assets, you've got to make sure that you're doing it all full integrated. Uh, Don't do a one hit wonder, right? Make it a rolling thunder as well, but also do things that you can tie on your partners and any community and collaborative um, companies that you work with as well, other OEMs or, or Alliance partners. But really the reason that I talk about ABM is a different way of thinking about your program and the, old world, let's call it Um, a marketer does a marketing campaign because they've launched a new product, the best widget out there. So the first thing they think about when they're building a campaign is what is my widget? And then they think, okay, how am I going to dress up my widget in a marketing campaign? What is my uh, email going to look like? And then they send it out. With ABM marketing, chuck that out the door. The way you build a marketing campaign for agency-based marketing is the very first thing you think about is not your widget, but your who, who are you marketing to? And what is their mission? And how is your product going to help them? Is it going to um, enable a warfighter? You know, is it going to get information to a taxpayer's hands quicker? So map it back. It could be at a high level, civilian, DOD, Intel. That's agency-based marketing as well. Or it could be right down into Department of Commerce or to the Army. So think about who your who is, then develop the offer after you've done your research. And Anne Marie, I think, is going to talk about research and then think about how it's delivered because, depending on the agency or depending on the segment, the way that you're delivering that information will be very different. Um, and then drive, you're going to just bring in the leads then. So it's the who, the offer, and then how it's delivered.
0: Yeah, and I think we've evolved because it used to be where the funding came from. So when I work for an OEM, the funding came from the business units. And so, like you said, I have a new product, it's coming down. And then how you message that to your customer was secondary. I think now when you go to the sales organization and you understand what their goals and objectives are, and you see how you're taking that product, the business unit information, and you're deciphering it down to what touches them, and you can actually tie in a better ROI with revenue, that you'll have more success. So I think you do kind of have to understand, yeah, this is where the money's coming you know, from whether it's a partner, a vendor, a product, what have you, but being able to take it down to that account-based market and make sure that this is going to this agency or this is how we word it for this agency, this is where the opportunity is for this particular product, but maybe not this product because it's not by America or what have you. So I think that's where we need to make sure that we're looking at our, um, our business goals and building the plan around that too. And it's so much easier to do ROI when you're making a sales number that a salesperson can feel.
2: Absolutely. And and even further, I think that marketers need to stop and think about program marketing, which I think is an agency-based marketing um, initiative as well. So get out in front you know, with your business development, your capture team. When they're working an opportunity, that opportunity might be 18 months away. Marketing can help. Um, I had somebody recently, one of our professors, who's been on your radio program, Helene Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She was telling this great story, and I'll synopsize it to save time. But she, at one of her captures into the Pentagon, um, 18 months before the award, she had these really cool lanyards created with the theme of what her company is going to be talking about. It didn't have any logos, just the theme. And she said everybody in the Pentagon was wearing it. And then when the proposal came out, they tied it to, oh, my gosh, that's it's what yeah, That's what necessary. these lanyards wow. meant, and I'm like, "That's really smart." Yeah. I'm going and to use that. So the, don't forget the, about program marketing. The ABM marketing.
1: and the program also ties back to content. It ties back to events. It ties back to the networking.
2: Fully integrated marketing campaigns don't do a one hit wonder.
1: Yeah, and it ties into social because if you name an agency or uh, an operating division within an agency, I can identify the people on LinkedIn who are in that uh, in that you know division.
2: Yeah. And you know, one of the things that we teach at the university to young marketers, we have a very active mentor protege program. And one of the things we teach them is uh, because believe it or not, there are government marketers that are hired that have never done marketing. We see them a lot and that's okay. We're going to teach them, but I've
1: been seeing it for 35 years. You you set
2: them up for failure, right? So one of the things we teach is any marketing campaign has these segments and it's a pie. And one of the first things you need to identify is what are the pie slices that your campaign is going to have? And then what's the percentage of budget and exactly it's the slices are what you just named. It's those areas. And what is the percentage of this marketing campaign you're building to each of those pie slices? And that's how you back into budget dollars.
1: Yeah. And, and if you, if you can't tie that bow on top, you know, it all falls apart
2: or bake it right. and eat it. Right. Yeah. Bake yes. and eat it.
1: So that kind of leads into more of an esoteric area and that's, you know, the subject matter expert thought leader realm. I've known people, uh, a friend of mine, Vincent Goldsmith, does nothing but CMS business development for a major integrator, uh, hope to have him on the show in in the near term because he, he leverages LinkedIn really well. He knows all of the events around his customer, uh, I mean, all of the events around his customer. Uh, and he knows which ones pay off, and he knows which ones doesn't. But his his profile, his headline on his profile for a long time has said, "You know, if you're if you're in the CMS community, we need to connect." You know, boom. he's your
0: trusted advisor. Wow, love that. He's your trusted advisor. We speak yeah. that term all the time. Yeah, you want to be that trusted advisor. You want to be associated with that trusted advisor. So uh, they're a critical piece of the of the pie.
2: Smart marketing. Without see, everybody's a marketer. Not just people with a marketing title. Everybody is a marketer of themselves or their company's products.
1: I agree. But some people, again, just like it's easy to make bad content, it's easy to do bad marketing. (laughs) So if you're not presenting yourself well personally and online, you're doing some bad marketing. Very true. I still
2: shudder sometimes when I see some pictures on LinkedIn. Like, oh, I wish I could call you and tell you to change that picture.
1: Yeah. I want to touch on one other thing before we go, and that is that that marketing really is, in a lot of organizations, the bastard child, and the budgets get cut first. So you made some comments off-air, Luann, about uh, um, making sure that you're demonstrating Mm -hmm. that ROI. So take that a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know – it's so important. And again, I'm preaching to the choir here that you have ROI, but those goals have to be established ahead of time. So that's part of your pie, right? One of your slices is ROI. And what is the metrics for success? And this is not something that a marketer should identify in a vacuum on their own. This needs to be discussed with the sales leadership or the sales reps if it's a particular agency. And you also have to make sure that your leadership, um, if you're a small local company, then you know it's it's somebody here on your team, probably a VP right. of sales perhaps or if you work for a large company and it's the CMO or the director of field marketing you want those identified because the best way to get more money is right. to prove success with the existing money and that's another benefit of agency-based marketing is you can follow the trail of your marketing success another benefit of everything we talked today was social media you now know hey this campaign drew 12,000 impressions. It used to be we only got impressions when we paid money to a media provider. Now we can get those impressions on our own. So please, everybody, if one thing you do, make sure you're tracking the success or the failures. It's okay to have failures because that's how you tweak your next campaign and a great way to get budget dollars.
0: Yeah. And I would even add to that, that part of your job is marketing marketing Mm. and you need to do that. And, And then the audience changes. It could be your stakeholders in the community. It could be the business units that have their goals and have their own budget dollars. It could be the sales organization. We know exactly what they are, their requirements are, and you want to make sure that you're an enabler and not the bastard child, or I've been told the redheaded stepchild. Right. <laughs> so, and you just happen to be redhead. Yeah, yeah, I know. So yeah. I don't like that one. I like that. Yeah. You know.
1: I remember when you work with Mad Max Peterson, uh-huh. and and uh, he told me that sometimes he wouldn't start his sales meetings until your person was there, and he was right. usually DeLuca. Right. That's so. right.
0: You, you, need, you need to have that seat at the table. But I think you know, back to ROI, it it may not be dollars and cents, but how am I helping you meet your goals? Whatever those goals
2: might be. And I've always been of the school that in marketing, my customer is my sales department. Some people disagree with that, but if my sales Uh, department is happy, I feel like my marketing team is being successful.
1: Cool. I agree. All right. That's it. Thank you very much. Louanne Brosman, Anne-Marie Clark of Government Marketing University, GovMarkU.com.
2: GMarkU.com.
1: GMarkU.com. Oh, I screwed it up
2: there. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> ah,
1: GMarkU. We're a university.
2: Com. We're going to teach you. There and Mark, you I just want to finish and say even, one thing. Even I'm teachable. Um, you know, this is, you said, your 12th anniversary. So kudos to you and congratulations and thank you for all that you have done in this GovMark community to uh, push us forward. Amen. Keep it going.
1: Well, thank you. It's not my day job. I still consult.
2: I know, I know.
1: <laughs> On the marketing side. So drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. Uh, thanks again to Luanne and and Anne-Marie. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. AM Tower Off Center only on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and FederalNewsRadio.com